Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I'm your host, Kyle. Opposite me today is your co-host, Mike. This week, as we do every week, someone will be bringing a topic to the table. This week, it will be Mike. I do not know what the topic is. He will tell me his top 10 of that list. We will then rigorously debate that list until we have a definitive top 10. Let's get started. Mike, what are we doing this week? Hello, host. Uh, this is your co-host, just like uh, Jim Halpert. I've been demoted to co-host uh, while you, Michael Scott, are the host. The so, co-to the host. The co-to the host, excuse me. So this week, we're going to be talking about the most likable TV and movie characters. So before you get Whoa. too excited, before you get too excited, I'm going to sort of piss in your Cheerios a little bit. This oh. is like a, it's a thing people say. <laughs> this is, this is one of those situations where I had this idea and it really morphed as I went where I was like, first I wanted to do the most, uh, unlikable characters. And then I was like, no, I don't want to go negative. It's kind of the dead of winter. I want to be positive here. Let's do the nicest characters. Okay. And then I realized I didn't like the nicest characters because nicest, it's too easy. It's really easy to make a nice character in a book, TV, movie, whatever. Likeable is sort of a different thing because it's not just who's the nicest. Like Ned Flanders is probably the nicest character. He's not really likable. Yeah. So this is this is an interesting list because it gets you into this gray territory. And yes, I know gray is not the mode you want for a top ten. But I found it really interesting. <laughs> I found it. I found it interesting in thinking about how to construct this list because as I was going through it, I found myself making all these rules. Like, no, no, they can't just be the nicest. Then I was like, well, they can't also just be somebody you like because that might make they might just still be a jerk, but you just like them. Then I was like, no, no, it's got to be somebody who you'd want to be friends with. And then I was like, well, sometimes your friends are jerks. It got really complicated. What I'm going for here at the end of the day is a character that we think if we met them in the real world, we would like this person. So, yes, there's going to be sort of a combination of rascals, people who are really nice it's like the real world. The people you like, they're often very different. So we're going to talk about the kind of characters who would be really likable in real life. That's my, that's, that's the situation. What do you got? So I, I missed that you said, are we saying TV characters or TV and movie characters? TV and movie. Yep. So I didn't want to go like all time, including books and stuff, because I, I think there would have been a little bit too much there. Wow. TV and movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, wow. the last thing, the last thing I want to add, cause I think that the formulation of the topic is more interesting than just like most likable sounds. I feel like I learned a lot about how characters get made in thinking about this, because especially with the female characters, you find this really interesting bifurcation between female characters who are really, really flat and sweet, but not actually that likable. And ones who are really badass, but also not very likable. There's like this weird middle ground where of three-dimensional female characters who are actually likable and real that has developed really only pretty recently. Like if you go past, say, like 1980, you're finding it really hard to find like a fully-fledged female character who's likable. 
because they're either like so far on the side of being a badass that you can't like them. Yeah, like Linda Hamilton from Terminator. Like she's not likable. Okay, I was gonna say she's, I was gonna say uh, Rip- or Ripley, Ripley, Ripley from Alien. Like same she's character. Not, like who you don't like Ripley? She's just like a badass, and in many ways, probably a reaction to female characters from earlier ages. Who the only like thing that's likable about them is that they're this very male vision of what a woman should be like. So that's, so that sort of led me down this interesting path of thinking about like how characters get made. That aside, let's dig into it. Listeners, I know you're going to disagree with a lot about this. You're probably going to disagree with my methodology, but I think we're going to have some fun trying to put this together. Without a doubt, this is going to be a ton of fun and a feel good episode. The problem is that there are, there's probably like one likable character per like, movie slash show. Like, there's a billion likable characters. So this is going to be a tough list to arrive at a definitive top ten for, but it it should be a good time. I recognize that. I'm breaking one of our cardinal rules about making a list very specific. (laughs) The reason I wanted to break that rule, and it was intentional, is because I thought it was a really fun exercise to just try to think of as many really likable characters as you could and put the list together thoughtfully. That's what I really enjoyed. And I think we should intentionally keep this band of likability very narrow. Like, if if someone strays too far to, like, being overly, like, Ned Flanders-y, like, we can ax them. Mm-hmm. They need to be. That's they need that to be, will come up. I think the realness of the person makes mean something. Yeah. One one thing that will definitely come up, and this is something I tried to do, is there is a serious difference between likability in the context of a movie and television show, and actual translatable likability in the real world. Because there are characters that you love in a movie, but if you met them in real life, you'd be like, "Oh my god, get me out of here." Yep question yes are there any limitations to the um like that like can it be a kid can it be a non-human can it anything oh we're fuck. going anything we're this is like i said we're going big on this one oh, shit. this might not this might not work out it's a little bit of a change for the podcast just for this episode we'll see if it works maybe it won't well i'm looking forward to this this is gonna be a good time all right um what's number so 10? number 10 Number 10 is kind of a type, but I picked a very culturally relevant one right now. So number 10 is Lady Bird from the movie Lady Bird. So uh, for people in the audience who didn't see it this year, uh, Lady Bird was one of the Best Picture nominees. Uh, It was nominated for writing. There's a couple acting nominations. It's about this high school senior named Lady Bird. Her actual name is something else that I'm forgetting now. Uh, she's grown up does not matter. Christine, actually, sorry. It matters just because I wanted to remember it. Portrayed by Saoirse Ronan, the incredibly charming actress, who I found out when listening to a different podcast, is just as charming in real life as she is in the movie. I'm guessing you listened to the same podcast as I did. It was on the yes, uh, Bill Simmons listening podcast. To her talk about Disney World and her accent was just amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, so the character is this really spunky, interesting high school girl who just doesn't play by like the rules of, of kind of what I was talking about of what a young female character should be from an earlier era. Uh, so she is part of a, a proud tradition of the like, 
somewhat rebellious, but really likable teen girl. Um, a couple of recent examples that I thought of are Juno from the movie Juno. Uh, Nadine from Edge of Seventeen was a really good one. Uh-huh. Um, so this is a proud tradition. So Ladybird sort of stands in for that group. She was a great expression of that. This movie, this movie only works because she is so damn likable. Totally. Like you, you put up with some of her like less mature. Yep. Because she is immature in a lot of ways. She's supposed mm-hmm. to be. She's in high school. Um, but you you overlook those things because, like, she just per- so perfectly embodies, like, a kid at that time. And, like, the way she colors her hair and obviously the way she yep. asks people to call her by her, not her name. Um, just, and then watching her, it, it's kind of it's neat because this movie is about teenage girls, but I found myself relating in a lot of ways to her and like mm-hmm. the things that she goes through in high school. And obviously the relatability really helps you connect to the character, but um, yeah, she just the like the way, the way that you just like are ready to forgive her for her mistakes because it's because she's just so darn likable. Totally. And I think you, you're getting at is really important coming out of a coming of age tale and seeming likable not an easy feat because there are a lot of pitfalls in there and if you are a character who comes out the other side squeaky clean like you have built yourself a pretty likable character absolutely um yeah to those of you who have not seen lady bird yet i would recommend giving that a look it's too bad that it walked away with nothing at the oscars but it was a well it was a very very good movie yeah terrific very worth seeing um so number nine uh, is is one that I had to pick one because I didn't want to overload us too many people from particular universes. I had to pick one. There's a couple of honorable mentions here. Number nine, Jon Snow. <laughs> so I'll give you a couple of my I'll give you a couple of my options uh, that were also possible here, and the reason that I settled on Jon Snow. So my other options were Eddard, Lord Eddard Stark, Warden of the North, and Sir Davos Seaworth, ah! who I know you have a very special place in your heart for. So, Sir Davos falls ever so slightly onto just a little bit too trickly sweet. Uh, he's, his relationship with Shireen is, I think, what pushed me over the edge into he might, they might be putting it on a little bit thick in that writer's room. Don't worry, it hasn't soured me on him whatsoever. I love the Onion Knight as much today as I ever have. Ned Stark, we didn't live with him long enough. And it's important to note, for you book readers out there, that the book Ned Stark is not quite as likable as the show Ned Stark. Jon Snow is a perfect balance of being a reasonable person who is exceptionally kind-hearted, has a good background story, keeps a good head on his shoulders through his coming-of-age tale, and who looks at the world from a very real but positive standpoint, he's an incredibly likable character. He also gets points for being, in my opinion, distinctly unlikable early on mm-hmm. because he's got kind of a crappy attitude and a, yep. a, like kind of a weird sense of, like a mix of a weird sense of entitlement with the, mm-hmm. at the same time having like a really significant chip on his shoulder. Yep. And he really, really... They do a really good job of maturing him in the show. Totally. Uh, 
kind of like Lady Bird. Um, yeah. I think uh, it's really hard. I don't know. It's hard for me to overlook my bias because I... Because... <laughs> <laughs> There's no one, not a single person, not only watching this show, but there's not a single person in Westeros that doesn't like Davos. That's like, true. That is a very good point. Inside and outside of the universe, everybody loves Davos. Yeah. Um, I think there are people inside... I don't think there are that many people outside of Westeros in our universe that dislike Jon Snow. But there are definitely some in in the show. I don't know. Yeah. But not on his merits. Yeah, sure. So here's my biggest so here's my biggest argument for why I think somebody like Jon Snow is a good nominee over maybe somebody like Davos. I would really love to get one beer with Davos, but I I would love to get a beer every week with Jon Snow. I think he works really well as a brother. He definitely, as we found out from the last episode of last season, works well as a love interest. Well, he works well as a leader of men, a buddy. He's a great buddy. I mean, he's he is a, such a great just buddy. Just ask Sam Tarly. Totally. Uh, ask Pip Gran. Like he works. He works in a lot of. He capacities. likes animals. Totally. He'd be a great gamekeeper. He's likable <laughs> in all capacities. Yeah. Okay. You convinced me. Okay. Uh, yeah, I love me some Jon Snow. Yeah. All right, we're going into a, a phase that I think is important. A time in movies when people were just more likable. We're going to that wonderful, weird world of, like, the late 80s, early 90s. One of my favorites and one of the most likable characters of all time, Daniel Hilliard, a.k.a. Mrs. Doubtfire. Interesting. Yes. Because... You're right. Like, the fact that they get you to cheer for this character... Huge. ...is amazing. Talk the listeners through how this connects to School of Rock. So. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think that... All right. My... Let's let's start in reverse here. My... I love School of Rock. It's a great movie. My only problem with School of Rock (laughs) is that I can't suspend my disbelief. (laughs) I can't do it. There's n- and wait, let me pause you now, too. Important to note, Kyle and I are sticklers for the suspension of disbelief. Our good friend, Ketty, has a real problem with suspending her disbelief. Kyle and I will suspend our disbelief for anything. I'll go out like, of my we'll, way. We'll, lizard people. The world, everything is upside down. We lo- okay, we love anything. Interstellar. The fact that yes. we love Interstellar just proves yep. to you that we are willing to put up with damn near anything. Yes. And yet... I cannot abide the end of School of Rock. There's no universe in which a man can pose as a substitute teacher for months and abduct a school bus full of children and take them to a place where you shouldn't bring kids. No, drugs, alcohol. And So I'll I'll give you this. It's possible that the parents, upon seeing their kids constructively using music to to form together as a group and, and achieve a goal maybe would let them finish this performance on stage. They might. Yes. I can see this Possibly. Happening. However, Possibly. as soon as that show is over, Dewey, Jack Black, whatever his name is, is yep. immediately taken to prison. The fact that he's not taken to prison is ridiculous. The craziest part is that shortly thereafter, he is clearly seen instructing kids how to play music after school with no other adult supervision. In his home! On... I cannot 
in any universe, fictional or otherwise, believe that this would be allowed to occur. It's the only part of that movie I have a problem, but I've got a big problem with it. <laughs> Back to Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> this is... He would also go to prison. He, like, yeah, completely... Absolutely completely go to prison. Yep. But they at least... Like he, there's no way at the end of this movie he has visitation rights. Like All right, that. wait. Let me tell you. Here's the whole thing. Here's the entire case. Okay, we're we're in court. Mister Hilliard, is it true that on the night of the twenty seventh you urinated, and your son walked in as you were urinating? You did not immediately kick him out. You dressed up as a woman in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, time when that was a little bit different. Expose yourself to your son. Well, Your Honor, you see, over case closed. He's in jail. Even if they don't, even if they're both too embarrassed to bring that up, yeah, he impersonated a nanny, an elderly yep. woman, for yep. a long time. Yeah, that's prison. And also, don't forget the idea that he accidentally poisons his ex-wife's. Very handsome lover. Oh, no, Mike. That is not going down. Mike. A jury of his peers is going to know that he did that on purpose. Okay, as long as you're aware. He absolutely did that yeah. on purpose. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, I don't know, Mike, because by your own logic or by your own, your own rules, we've already decided that a person to be considered likable, like you'd have to actually like them in real life. And I just don't think I could ever spend time with a person that I knew would go to such weird, bizarre lengths to spend time with their kids. The question—that's a very interesting because point. because here's the thing: are we talking about Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. or Daniel Hillard? Because Daniel Hillard is a very lovable loser who just does voices for cartoons and likes his kids mm -hmm. a lot, and is just kind of a loser but a goofball that we like. Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire is a psychopath, and I can't abide it. <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I was thinking Daniel Hilliard, but the really, see, what I think is the really interesting question is in this scenario, do we know that the Mrs. Doubtfire situation has occurred? And I don't know because I think the problem is too much of his likability stems from his behavior as Mrs. Doubtfire. Agreed. And if we know about that, we also know that he's gone to these, in the real world, very problematic lengths. Mm. I don't think... Holes are being poked. <laughs> There's a catch-22 here, and you've just laid it out perfectly. <laughs> Daniel Hillard is likable, but not probably likable to be on this list without the yeah. charm of Mrs. Doubtfire. And Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire, while charming, is the product of a lunatic, <laughs> the deranged mm. mind, in my opinion. It makes a great okay. film... If we were talking about, if if you hadn't said that, like, if this wasn't a person that we were supposed to hang out with in real life, yeah. we could talk about this a little more. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to see. All right, but let me give you, let me give you my two-point case. I want, we won't dig into it because I already know that Mrs. Doubtfire slash Daniel Hilliard's up this <laughs> Let me give you my two, my two big reasons. One, the only person who genuinely doesn't like him throughout the course of this movie is the only person I don't want him to like him. And that's the guy who he works with who says, he asks, what do you do after you box him? You ship, you ship him. him, you smart ass. Which is like my favorite thing ever. You box him and you ship him. After you box him? What do you, what do you do? So that guy never likes him. 
I hate that guy. I'm glad he doesn't like him. But the person who likes Daniel probably the most in the entire movie is the crabby TV producer who's a total dick who he who he plainly insults other than the bus driver. Okay. <laughs> really, yeah. Who <laughs> he plainly insults and like calls a total dumbass but then wins over with his really charming little dinosaur monologue. That's my whole case. So, but you got to remember when yeah. he did that he was Daniel Hillard. Yes. He likes Daniel Hillard, not Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. All right, so so you you sold me on on this. All right, um, so ten Lady Bird, nine Jon Snow, eight the soon to be removed Daniel <laughs> from Mrs. Doubtfire. All right, we're we're moving into uh, a Robin Williams uh, co uh, co worker at one point, little uh, little co collaborator. I try to avoid people who I specifically would have found to be a love interest. Because I thought that, that was sort of an, a, an unfair quirk of this. However, the next person is a love interest, but so much more. Number seven is Skylar from Goodwill Hunting. And to those of you who are holding your breath, not Skylar White from <laughs> Breaking Bad. She becomes distinctly everybody, unlikable towards the end. Everybody of that knows show. she was not super likable. Skylar, the mini driver love interest from Goodwill Hunting, Will's girlfriend in this movie. Kyle, get a little bit of a puzzled look from you. It's because I just haven't seen Goodwill Hunting in so long. Okay. I saw it a long time ago and obviously enjoyed it immensely. If I remember correctly, she's a fan of getting caramels. She likes caramels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. L- let me give you, I'll give you the quick story on her and why she's so likable. Number one, British accent. Number two, she and Will. Their first date when she, you kind of learn a little bit more about her. No, actually, let me back it up. The bar scene, the famous, how do you like them apples scene? Sure. When he shows up, the snooty Harvard guy. It's awesome because he actually doesn't ask her out. He's too intimidated by some girl who goes to Harvard and has a British accent. She actually comes over and says, listen, I'm about to leave this bar. You, dummy, haven't come over to talk to me. Here's my number. Why don't you call me when you're ready? It's a badass move. You know she's kind of likable right from the start. The next time we see her is on their first date. She has her first kiss with Will with her mouth full of hamburger. She says, we should just get the first kiss out of the way. And she's like talking with her mouth full and kisses him while she's eating a hamburger. The next date we see her on, she's playing with these googly eyes at, like, some joke shop. And it doesn't feel cloying and annoying. It's incredibly likable. And as this is happening, you're thinking, I would be falling in love with her if I were Will. Also, if I were just a friend in there with her, be falling in love with her as a friend. Could be platonic or romantic. My final point, the most important thing, is one of my favorite movie, like, romantic scenes of all time it's when she and Will are in bed, and it's sort of this funky angle where it's like a super close-up of their faces, and they're just talking, and she's shaking an eight ball while he's like having a serious conversation with her, and she keeps answering his questions with the eight ball, and then she starts talking about how good she is at basketball, and she's like, I dunk, dribble, dribble, dunk, dunk, hook, hook, and she keeps like saying these basketball terms that she clearly does not understand, 
amazing. She is an insanely likable character, and she puts up with so much from a character who is really emotionally damaged. I wish I remembered more about this, because she sounds like just a treat. Yeah, she is. So we we can leave her there for now. We'll talk about whether she fits in. I will will play the pro-Skylar side of this conversation. The thing about Skylar is that, like, her role... Mm-hmm. Like the the really well put together um, love interest that like puts up with our our male protagonist going through like whatever they need to mm-hmm. until they figure it out is a very common one and it sounds like she's a good among those two but I'm just thinking of uh, what's her name and like fever pitch like putting up with Jimmy Fallon yeah and like or the like stands by her man you know. Kay from The Godfather, uh, Carmella from The Sopranos, Skyler from Breaking Bad. So, I hear you, and I actually thought about this. It's, for a note for the listeners, we're recording this on International Women's Day. So, conscientious of not falling into this trap, she's not exactly that. She's not just the stands by her man. They have, like, this very three-dimensional relationship where she doesn't just, like, get all kinds of shit from Will as he's going through stuff and just put up with it. She sort of, she tries to unlock him. She tries to be more, like, it's hard to describe. She's not just taking his shit and just, like, putting up with it in a really admirable way because she loves him. She gives him shit right back. She's trying to figure her own shit out. It's a little more nuanced, but I hear you, and that's a pitfall I think we have to be careful to avoid. All right. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Number six. Let's do our not a top no- three if we can. All right. Let's do our not top three. So, Kato, what do I'm you got? I'm thinking the opposite of the most likable characters would be, like, the least likable characters for our not top three. That's a good... I think that's a, probably a good one. <sighs> I think the difficulty here is picking someone that's not just obviously a villain. Cause yeah, like, Voldemort doesn't count. Right, because, you know, you wouldn't, you don't like Voldemort, but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have a hard time thinking of some off the cuff here because there are so many just, like, kind of annoying, like, people you wouldn't want to hang around with. Anybody from the cast of Terrible Show Friends. <laughs> One character who I thought of as I was originally doing the least likable, probably my number one, Ted Mosby. Um, is Ted, wait, is Ted the Neil Patrick Harris character or the other one? No, he's the other one. Neil Patrick. I take it back. The Neil Patrick Harris character. Barney? That one. Barney. Yeah. It's those people he that sucks. like have really grating personalities that if you know them well and long enough, you're like, there are a lot of redeeming qualities here. Trust me. Um... But like to to meet them right off the cuff and not know them very well, it's very hard to like to like them. Yeah, one person that I actually think fits on this list, despite the fact that I love this character, um, is uh, Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec. Hey, think about it. Tom's kind of a heel, like up until the like even towards the end of that show, like he's selfish and mean to a lot of people. And kind of, like, obviously incredibly uh, driven, but often at the expense of others. He's, I, I think, especially early in this show, he's not actually that likable. And, and speaking of early characters in that show, 
I think even late in the show, there are a lot of people that aren't huge fans of Leslie because she's so in your face, like pretty much all the time. Um, so let's let's just say that this topic will probably come back. Okay, understand. <laughs> oh no, I just put I just put someone on Mike's top ten in the not top three. This th- not necessarily. Okay. But this topic this topic will come back. Because the question of likability within the context of a show in real life is an important question. And I think for Parks and Rec, a very important question. Okay. Okay. Um, We've kind of just listed two kind of similar characters. Someone that becomes really endearing over time, but at first glance is not super likable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that... I think... (laughs) I'm comfortable leaving it at that. I I don't know. It's a type. I think that's I think that's the type. It's somebody I think what we're getting at is somebody who we're supposed to like, but we just never do. That's what that's what bugs you about that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there are so many people in real life that I just like don't like because they're like I don't know. I feel like there aren't characters written like the people I don't like in real life because they're mm. not interesting enough to be on TV. Like I think that's a good point. part of the reason I don't like a lot of the people that I, I'm, I should say, I like almost everybody. I think what I don't like when I find people I don't like, it's oftentimes just because like, I don't get enough out of them. Like they're not engaging yeah. enough, you know? And so yeah. I don't, there aren't very many care people like that on TV or in what movies. I think is interesting about what you're saying. I think this goes to a little bit of what I feel I learned in thinking about this list which is how this dynamic has changed over time, where I think people have realized that every character needs a redemption arc or needs a humanizing arc if they're on the other side of the spectrum, particularly in television shows, scripted TV shows especially. That tends to be how this works. So you, it's hard to get sort of that unalloyed, likable character who deserves to be likable and isn't just annoying, or that, like, hey, they're a jerk, and that's all there is to it. There's sort of something, and so there, there ends up being a lot of, I think, the ones that you end up genuinely just saying, that is an unlikable person, it's usually unintentional. Yeah, a poorly written character that's supposed yeah. to be likable, or, you know. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'd also say that's more of a modern phenomenon, like, this concept that, people are so intelligent now that like you can't just have a one-dimensional villain or hero because that's not interesting it's why nobody wants to watch superman movies anymore um and it's why breaking bad is so good because you have people that and it's why it's why honestly it's the secret to why game of thrones is so great is because every single character on that show has positive and negative qualities anyways moving on um yeah what what what, uh what's number six number six uh, is another situation where I had to pick somebody from a world that is uh, chock full of likable characters. Number six, Hermione Granger. Okay, so I was wondering which Her- reason- I was wondering which Harry Potter character you'd pick. So the reason I picked Hermione Granger is because I think there are many characters who are likable. So Hagrid is super likable in the context of the book. In real life, probably less so because he's getting you hurt all the time by making you play with hippogriffs, blast-ended scroots. Uh, uh, three-headed dogs. Don't forget dragons. the Nifflers. Yeah, the Nifflers. Nifflers are real fuckers. Like, there's a lot of things that are going to really 
get you. Also, he is, alas, an alcoholic, which can be, it's a difficult thing to deal with, but it can make you a tough, unreliable friend. Sure. A lot of things about Hagrid that are a little bit tough to translate to the real world. There are other people, like Albus Dumbledore, pretty great in a certain capacity. The more time you spend with him, there's some stuff you're like, eh, and plus, his his likability is not as portable to all different roles. He is capable of a great likability in a certain capacity. As a mentor, pretty much specifically. Yes. Uh, well, depends. Um, it depends on what he's mentoring you for <laughs> and whether he's kind of giving you the heads up on what he's mentoring you for. So that's, so that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm looking for the person in this world. I've got a high bar because I need somebody who translates to a lot of situations. Hermione is that person. She's a real character. Unlike, I hate to say it, I think Harry is a pretty underdeveloped character in terms of his internal life. I think that his personality is generally reflected by the people around him. We don't get a ton of interior life from Harry. I think we are we're made to infer it from a lot of the way that other characters react to him. I love Harry. I think we go on a journey. But I think, personally, the only of the books that really dives into his inner world directly, where we're actually getting his inner thoughts, is the fifth book. Yeah. I love Order of the Phoenix. Yes, it is the one where he is pissing and moaning. He's a teenager, and, and he's kind of annoying about it. But that's the one where we like most directly get his, his internal life. The rest of it, he's more a reflection of his circumstances. Ronald Weasley incredibly likable he he would be i think over time will be a little bit tough to have as a friend i think that there's there's some stuff about him that makes him slightly less likable than hermione i also think that he's somewhat of a caricature of the best friend his patronus if i recall correctly is a jack russell terrier that's what he is jack russell terrier is great over time you recognize that it's a little bit two-dimensional Hermione is a very three-dimensional character. She has a fully developed interior life. She's never just a love interest. She's never just a friend. She's a really interesting and well-done balance of both. Frankly, for both Harry and for Ron. She's incredibly intelligent. She's a good time. She's fun. Especially in the, especially in the movie, she gets to be a pretty fun time. I just, I think it's, I think she's just, she's incredibly likable. I think the thing that seals it is when you see that scene of her performing the Confundus charm on Cormac McLaggen to try to get Ron to keep her job. You're like, damn, that's a friend. That is a really likable person. I agree with everything that you just said. Hermione's awesome. There's, there's really not a but. Um, I, just kind of like a, an important distinction is that we make sure that we are talking about like late book Hermione, because I think she takes some time to fully develop. That's a good point. I, I think, wouldn't have given her a chance. I think I wouldn't have given second year Hermione a chance. No, I think the pivot point is, um, is Goblet of Fire, specifically the Yule Ball. Like as soon as you see Hermione as like, not just an accessory to Harry and Ron, and she actually has an interest in, you know, like a different person and kind of starts to function more independently. Uh, I think, cause I think, right. I think that at that point is 
when Hermione actually becomes her own distinct character and like and it's not just the reader but it's Harry and Ron for the first time are like oh Jesus Christ like it's not just Hermione like the third person in our group like Hermione's a real a real girl you know <laughs> like I think that you just made the best point that this show has ever had you're so damn right that is exactly right yep and like and it's it, and Jay does it so well because um like the like she's literally transformed Hermione into this new person by uh yeah. like sleeking her hair and putting her in this new dress that she and yeah. doing makeup she doesn't normally do i i i think Hermione is if i could pick anyone in the Harry Potter universe to have as a buddy like it would be her i'm not disputing anything you just said i'm just making the point it has to be after Yule Ball Hermione that's all yeah you're to- you're totally right. It's the context. It's her existing in the larger group. Wow. You're so right. Totally. Let's move on. There's no point to- there's no point to be made. That's that's totally right. All right. Number 5. Number 5. This will be at least the second time, probably more, that this specific character and what will soon become obvious is a specific incident has come up and it will come up again. Number 5, Faramir. Oh my Go. god, at five? <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. Mike! I understand. Give us, give us, give us the briefcase for Faramir. Okay. <laughs> there's, you have to, I, there's no short story to this. Okay, so. Also, who is Faramir? Okay, so for those of you who do not know, in Lord of the Rings, I'll, I'll see how short I can make this story. There's this <laughs> ring that we need, that they need to destroy because it is evil, but, um,. The problem with it is that this ring, if you have it, it gives you a, a great power, but it also corrupts you, and it's like almost impossible to not uh, succumb to the temptation of this ring and the power it offers you as a lure. Uh, it's been known to to ruin men, and not just men, but all sorts of creatures throughout its history. Um, so much so that one of the characters that's tasked with escorting this ring to be destroyed a strong warrior man succumbs to the power of the ring and ends up betraying his friends because he thinks that he can use this ring to to achieve greatness for him and his country and his family and ends up leading to his death that's boromir he could not resist the allure of the ring Bor now living in the shadow of boromir for his entire life is faramir and he's just Ugh. never been as good as his brother in any way, not as a warrior or, and, 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 uh, his only dream in life is just to, just to be worthy in his father's eyes, who has always preferred Boromir to Faramir. Always, always, always. Even in death, he tells his dad, he tells his dad when Boromir's body comes back, oh, you wish it was, you wish it was me instead of him. Oh. And his father doesn't doesn't deny it he's he kind of says like yeah i do i wish you no like he actually says yeah like there's a pause where you think this is just gonna like hang in the air for a minute and then he's like i think he says like you are right i wish it were so or something like that so this is like this is faramir's family history and uh he has everything to gain probably more than any other character maybe except for aragorn like he has so much more to gain from this ring of power, and he literally has it in his fingers. This ring that has toppled kings and ruined men for thousands of years. 
and yet he understands the importance of letting it go and destroying it for the greater good, and he's able to do so despite the fact that him, more than anyone else, probably has the best right or the would be we would be most understanding if he were to take mm-hmm. it for himself, and he does not. Faramir is easily, in my opinion, the most likable character in Lord of the Rings. I think Sam is second, because I love Samwise. I thought about Sam. He falls a little bit, in my opinion, into more of the cloying category, where it's like he's too nice, and we get a lot of him. But th- this these books have been out for 60 years. Finish the story for us. Well, well the <laughs> ring is destroyed, but Faramir, well, I guess where do you... Give us the, the, Kyle and I have agreed that we think the saddest scene of this type in movie history is the scene when Faramir, to try to gain his father's approval, goes on what is essentially a suicide mission. And there is a slow motion scene of him riding out into this outpost of the city as one of the other main characters is singing this incredibly sad song. And you know he's riding to his likely death purely to make his father proud of him. It's heart-wrenching. And as everything that Faramir does comes from this incredibly great place in his heart, he would be so damn likable because he's great to his men. He's deferential to those in power. He does the right thing. You know he can bro out. He's He's like a handsome dude. His brother, Sean Bean... Remember him in 300? He's ripped AF. Yeah, yeah, he's got a great voice in 300. He's the narrator of 300. Yep. He's awesome. Awesome. And if he had the ring of power, everybody would follow him yeah. until it obviously everything went wrong. Like, he's awesome. Everybody likes Faramir. Do we suspect that maybe Faramir could wield the ring of power? Because he's just such a great Responsibly? Dude. Yeah. Yes. I actually <laughs> think it's possible that he could wield the ring of power and, like, it would I be I think fine. he would last longer than most. Yeah, he'd he'd make it a solid nine months. Like uh-huh. he could he could do it for a while. The problem is like I can't. Like with Ladybird, it was like oh just go watch it and you'll understand. Yeah, yeah. And this is requires a lot. Yeah, and you're done <laughs> in like an sick. hour and thirty minutes. Whereas like yeah. for you to understand the love that we have for Faramir, you'd, you'd have to invest twelve hours of your life. But um, yeah, I'm not saying it's not worth it. Yeah, good investment of twelve hours. <sighs> Faramir. <laughs> yeah. What's number four? All right, number four is kind of a combo pick. Uh, number four is 1990s Morgan Freeman. Uh, with an eye to two particular roles that I would like to highlight. Uh, one as Hulk, uh, the chauffeur from Driving Miss Daisy. And then the other, of course, his most famous role as Red from Shawshank Redemption. So the pitch, the pitch for, uh, the pitch for Hulk is that in this somewhat hokey story, basically the whole pitch is that he can make a racist old lady forget her racism. That's like the whole, that's like the movie's whole pitch. Um, and I gotta tell you, it's pretty convincing pitch. Now, Shawshank Redemption has the more appealing pitch and the more sort of, uh, culturally significant at this point pitch which is that he makes prison bearable for a man who has a very unpleasant time in prison. That's it. Like, what more of a pitch do you need? He he makes Andy Dufresne keep hope 
escape prison and be okay during his time in prison. Insanely likable dude. And yes, I know there's a, there's a problem with this case, but you continue. Well, my there's no disputing that he's just so damn likable. He's the guy who can get you things. Yeah. Um, when he says, uh, <laughs> "Can you get me Rita Hayworth?" He says, "I don't have a stuff down in the front of my pants." I'm sorry to say, like that's just funny. Yeah. It's Ugh. quick. Um, or when he says uh, his name is Red, maybe because he's Irish. Um, yeah. Which in the yeah, which great. in the short story, by the way, like he's actually Irish, and they just kept yeah. the line for irony, and it's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. I think based on their arcs, Andy should actually be more likable than Red because Andy never loses faith, even when it's so dark. Like he always maintains hope, and he converts Red from someone who had given up, and you see that, like, and he pull like the person who pulls someone else out of the darkness and makes them believe again is probably, I, I don't know. I think like probably more likable for that reason. And yet I like red more than I like Andy. Yeah. I think it's because I think it's because red is the more accessible character for us because he isn't. Andy is sort of this idealized character where he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Red did it. Like he's the he, they always they talk about in the movie about yeah nobody's guilty in here. He did it and he tells you he did it. And it really just it brings him alive for you as a character. You say like, yeah, this is a guy who did something really terrible. But and and this is and obviously this is about likability, not about being a good person. So you can have a debate about how much redemption there really is in the world. But the movie does a really good job of selling us on the possibility of redemption. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that this Morgan Freeman character is he's really convincing both as the old man who was once the young red and as this now incredibly likable older red. He does a really brilliant job of both of those things. And I think letting us have a window into the kind of the wild man that he might have been as a younger person makes the older one much more likable. Yeah, I I totally agree with you on Red. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Morgan Freeman because I was actually if you if we're gonna if you're already kind of combining him with <laughs> driving this Daisy Morgan Freeman, yeah. Instead of like waiting and putting this in my honorable mentions or my stumps, I'll just I'll just throw it in here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, throw it in. Wait, even if it's like nineteen. 19- 80s even if it's 2020s throw them in i was gonna throw in um lucius fox morgan freeman yeah that's a really likable yeah that's a great point and a different kind of likable too yeah um he's like like your conscience morgan freeman which like Mm -hmm. i'm sure every single person ever has thought about how amazing it would be if morgan freeman was your conscience because of his incredible voice yeah, like I thought about, you know, doing something bad and I was like, I had a voice in my head that was like, and right then, Michael sold his soul. And I'm like, ah, I shouldn't do that. Like, I shouldn't let the Morgan Freeman narrator be able to say that sentence. You're just picturing Morgan Freeman not saying anything at all and just kind of like looking at you, not mad yeah. at all. Yeah, like I want to live up to him. But just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> That's Lucius Fox to me is like yeah and also an incredible purveyor of sarcasm like that man can repeat what somebody else said in a sarcastic way oh 
Like, he crushes, didn't you get the memo? Oh my god. Oh, by, he's so good. By the way, everyone, uh, Lucius Fox is Morgan Freeman in, in the Dark Knight trilogy. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Dummies. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Morgan Freeman, but especially Red. Just, Morgan Freeman sort of writ large. Maybe because like, he's Irish. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, Alright, so that gets us to uh, to number three, which I think means it's time for some honorable mentions, right? Yeah, but why don't we recap real quick, just so people will remember where we're at. Alright, do you want to do the recap? Sure. Number ten was Ladybird from Ladybird. Number nine, Jon Snow. Number eight, Daniel Hillard, a.k.a. Mrs. Doubtfire. Number seven, Skylar from Goodwill Hunting. Number six, Hermione Granger. Number five, Faramir. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Red of Shawshank Redemption. And now some honorable mentions. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to hit a couple here. So these are sort of more, uh, they fit into categories kind of thing. Uh, a couple of them at least. So one, Miller. Uh, Ellie Miller from Broadchurch. Miller! Uh, so if, Miller! Uh, so if anybody has watched Broadchurch... Um, she is part of a proud tradition of, uh, Dr. Watson imitators. So for those of you who are not familiar with the setup, the concept is you have this brilliant character in the mold of Sherlock Holmes who the, the audience can't understand their way of thinking. So you give them a sidekick who basically acts as a, as a medium. They're an interpreter for the audience. It's a, it's generally a pretty thankless role, um, a lot of people kind of forget what, like, a kind of boring pain in the ass Dr. Watson really is in the Sherlock Holmes stories because he's been portrayed so brilliantly by Jude Law, by Martin Freeman. Really not that interesting. Generally a thankless task. Miller, whatever that, whatever the actress's name is, is so good on this show, so incredibly likable. She goes through a lot. Uh, there are a lot of things that happen uh, to her on this show, and she handles them with incredible grace and is a terrific cop, a grow, always growing. She gets better as a cop. She's a great partner. She's a really, really good mom. She's awesome. She would be somebody who I would really enjoy having a beer with, working with, being her son. Uh, she's just awesome. She's great. Um, so she's one. Uh, one I want to hit, this is probably more personal for me, uh, Winnie the Bish, uh, Winston Leandre Bishop from New Girl. Um just, he's just the best. He loves cats. He loves puzzles. He loves shirts with birds on them. I know it sounds like I'm describing myself. <laughs> Maybe this is a selfish one. Maybe that's why I love Winnie the Bish so much. He's great. On the list, this one fits a little bit into the uh, Daniel from Mrs. Doubtfire category. Somebody who you love them in the movie, but you might be a little concerned about them in real life. Uncle Buck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Man, so when I was a kid, uh, my dad's best friend from high school babysat my sisters and me just like twice, and he was basically Uncle Buck, and it was incredible. So I can tell you that at least in a limited sense, the Uncle Buck thing works in real life, probably not forever. Uh, one I also wanted to mention, Edith Bunker from All in the Family, so she is uh, she's the mother slash wife, really interesting character, in incredibly annoying voice and i think for a show that was way ahead of its time 
um, intended to stand for all of the really annoying wives from old shows. And they do a really great job on her character arc showing you and showing her husband, Archie, who's a total dope, um, that there's a lot more to her. She's an incredibly likable character and stands for a real change in the way female characters were portrayed. Huge fan of Edith Bunker. Uh, and then a couple, a couple more recent ones. Uh, one, Jimmy Morris from The Rookie. <laughs> Could not be played more likably than by Dennis Quaid. I just rewatched this. I forgot how much you buy into that character. Um, it just, ah, man. The warm and fuzzies. He's great. Since we're already talking about that same exact character, um, yeah. Basically, like half the guys in Miracle kind of fit that same mold. That is true. I put them on the, like, the, I don't know if I can use them because they're real people list. Obviously, the way they were characterized isn't real, but. Um,. We just watched that the other day, so that's fresh on my mind. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one I wanted to mention, this is another sort of groupy one, uh, the kids from Stranger Things. <laughs> so anybody who's watched Stranger Things knows that the show, I think season two proved this, the show, its greatness does not depend on the brilliance of its plotting or the show. It's a decently plotted show with a mildly interesting premise season one those damn kids took us by storm we had no idea who any of them were that's part of why i think season two fell off a little bit is because we were now used to how cute they were and we had these expectations season one we had no idea who they were we knew nothing about them my god what a likable bunch of kids the actors and actresses are incredibly likable but the characters on the show, oh man, what great friends, they're cute kids, they're really smart, they're awesome. I do love the first season of that show, and I still haven't watched the yeah. second, because I'm waiting for Allegis to catch up, but uh, yeah, yeah, they're a fantastic ensemble of children. Yeah, they're they're great. Let's, um... So those are, uh, those are some honorables. Yeah, let's, um... Let's get through these top three and, and get going here, because we are approaching, we're getting close to an hour here. Yeah, we're taking a little bit of time. All right, number three, uh, a little Parks and Rec for you. So I was having a hard time choosing who to pick here. I did actually pick the combo of Ben and Leslie. Mm. So, Besley. Uh, le- yes, Besley. So Leslie is definitely a little bit overwhelming. She's tough. Ben would probably be a little bit tough because he'd always want you to be playing the Codes of Dunshire. But also, he'd be really annoying if you were Barney and you were just trying to hire him to your accounting firm and he kept accepting and then quitting. But here's my my premise. It all rests on this. I am a person who is very committed to his family. And our biggest principle as a family is loyalty. We're very, like, tribal in that sense. Very insular tribal group. There is no quality that characterizes Leslie Nope more aptly than loyal. She is she's an incredibly loyal character. And I would almost say to a fault, but it's not to a fault. She brings people together and they all love her no matter what she does because they know that at the end of the day she's incredibly loyal. Which I think fits really well with the thing that makes a person really likable in real life. Real friendships are born not because the person, all of their qualities are so likable. 
It's because at the end, you know that there's this rock. There's this consistent thing about them that you know you can depend on. And that's what I feel about Leslie. That's my argument for her. So I guess it's really more Leslie, but I also just love Ben. (laughs) I think what can be said about Leslie is that her negative qualities are essentially an amplification of a really good quality. Mm -hmm. Like her overbearing pursuit of her career is born of a passion for her career and helping other people. Her incessant pestering of her friends with gifts and themes and events made up holidays. Made up holidays is born of her absurd love for her friends and desire to see them happy. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you're in her circle, if this is if she was a real person and you were in her circle, I could see. I just can't see it. Obviously, you would love a person like that, and the fact that all of them at the end of the at the end of the day would gladly put up with her shenanigans just to be her friend is a testament to that. I don't even know if we need to include Ben on here, but yeah, I think we kick Ben out. Leslie's the player. Ben is great, um, but Leslie is the the heart and soul of that show. Yeah, and just as a as a final note for this, Parks and Rec has some of the most incredibly well-written characters who earn their likability. There are so many characters on that show who are so likable, and Mike Shore and all the writers on that show did an incredible job of earning that. Absolutely. They are so... They they deserve to be liked. It doesn't feel cheap, especially because no. we talked about this. When I started watching yep. that show, you had already finished it, and I was telling you, like, man, a lot of these characters I don't really like. And... Yeah. Um, April, I think, was one. April was my big right, but I and also yeah. like I was like, eh, oh shoot, um, oh my god, what's her name? Um, Donna. Donna. I was like, geez, she's, what's she all about? And like I, as I yeah. even said earlier on this podcast, like Tom's kind of a selfish little shit, and I, we actually didn't like Brandanowitz, but like there are all these like characters that you kind of like. Eh, I was at least, anyways, about them, and by the end of the show, it's like. I love them all so much. Um, yeah. It's really good show writing, really good development. I can think of two characters off the top of my head that I like hope and pray are two in one, because if they're not, I'm going to have to stump really, really hard for them post your top ten. I wonder if you have either of them up here. I'm so concerned. This is this is one of the many pitfalls of having such a wide open topic. There's, I, Yeah, you go. My number one, in my opinion, is the undisputed number one most likable character of all time, and I will be curious to see if you got it or not. I am so worried that our number ones won't be the same, but I really think I know what your number one is, and I think it's the same as my number one, but I'm so worried now that it won't be the same. We'll see. I think you know it. All right. I think I do. Um, All right. Number two... One of the most insanely likable people ever because she's so great at what she does. She is so dogged in what she does. She has such a cute relationship with her husband. She's always doing the right thing. We just did Leslie, Mike. I know. And as she's doing the right thing, she seems really wide-eyed and she seems inexperienced, but she proves every time that she's actually really smart and ahead of everybody. Number two, Marge Gunderson from Fargo. Oh, <laughs> I just didn't know her name. Wow. Uh, it's almost like Frances McDormand has been in the news lately. 
I know. I love Francis McDormand so much. Wow. Um, this, it's actually funny because I remember um, the first time that I do remember. We watched it together. Yeah. yeah. First time. We, I think both of us saw Fargo is at my house. Yeah. Um, with Cam. And yep. we were we just loved the movie. Um, but she is <laughs> I think like whenever I think about that movie, I always think of that line where um, the guy that she's working with, like gets the license plates and it's like the DLR, like the dealer plates. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. license plate was DLR. And she just goes, oh, I'm not sure if I agree with your detective there or your detective work there. And like, it's just so like poking fun at him and like, but telling yep. him he's wrong. And yeah. And like, she's got a very, um, oh, Columbo. Um, she's got a very <laughs> Columbo-ish kind of like, uh, like you were just saying, like she kind of yeah. like lays on this uh, image of kind of being a little, you know, in the the far. Well, the perfect the perfect scene is when she's with William H Macy, and she's like asking about cars, and I think she asks about paint jobs, and like he slowly, like she's slowly realizing that something's not right here. She's she's quick as a whip, and like the longer you oh, watch the yeah. movie, the more you're like, this is she's like very good at the fake out. Uh huh. Um. It helps that she's got, like, I think the fact that, like, she's, she does the accent so well, and, like, she exudes this kind of, like, Midwestern charm about her, but at the same, and she's pregnant the whole movie, like, that goes yeah. a long way. She's, yeah, that is. That does go a really it. long way. She's got that, yeah. that matronly kind of feel about her. Um, she's great. I think the only thing that I think keeps her away from the top of this list, in my opinion, is the fact that I love this character and, like, didn't even really know her name. And I think, and I think a lot of people, I think like to be the most, like among the most likable characters ever, you just have to have this really broad appeal. And I, I think that, I think that Fargo just doesn't have enough reps in like the, the general, like our, our, uh, communal, like social mind. Like, I don't think that she's yeah. maybe not quite relevant enough, but. Interesting. I'd be curious because I feel like she's sort of a cult classic and i think if you were to pull a list of like greatest characters i bet a lot of people would name her i actually am i'm willing to bet we'll have to check this out after the show but i bet you if you pull like a list of 100 greatest characters in movie history i bet you she's on it however i i totally yeah agree. maybe that's more critical than i just public. Th- well i and i think i'm not just saying like well that's not the list we're doing what i'm saying yeah. is a character's likability is so tied, I think, more so than the greatness yeah. of a character. The likability of a character is tied... Well, they're both tied to it. But I think, like, th- you have to have, like, a a familiarity. Like, yeah. part of what That's makes true. a character likable is that you feel familiar with them right away. And, like, it, yeah. it's hard to have... It's hard to put a character like this on a list that's supposed to be representative of a lot of people if I don't know if a lot of people feel that familiarity. Fair. My point in bringing up that greatest list is that I think she's more in the public conscience than we think. Here's my last point on her. The scene, the scene that clinches how likable she is for me, or one of them, is when that guy Mike, uh, she gets dinner with that guy Mike, who she hasn't seen since like high school, and he starts hitting on her, and she just handles it so beautifully. She's really like gives him some tough love she's really she's she knows where he's going with it but she tries to like give him an out it's just oh man she would be great because if you were the guy who was like humiliating herself to her 
you wouldn't be able to hate her. Like the reflex is to hate her because you're like, you're bearing your soul and she's not giving you what you want back. You couldn't because she let you down so easily. And then if you're the kid that she's pregnant with, your mom is going to give you a hell of a lesson about how to be good to people because she showed it right there. She's great. Yeah. Huge, huge Marge Gunderson fan. Number one, what I really hope is your number one too, because you seem so invested. It's got to be Ferris Bueller, right? Absolutely. It's Ferris Bueller. Okay. All right. I, oh, thank God. I was so concerned. Ferris Bueller is indisputably the most likable character of all time. And here's why. Yeah. He, like, (laughs) literally the first 40 minutes of the movie is just explaining that everybody likes him. That's what, so that was what I was about to say. He's two things. He is both the most likable and the most liked character. But here's the thing. Yeah. Someone being the most liked character kind of, like, puts me at a predisposition to, like, not like them. Yeah, to push back on it. You're, like, concerned that everybody's so concerned about Ferris. Did you see Election? It's another high school movie. Yeah. Witherspoon. Yep. It's a little mm-hmm. different because she's obviously unlikable for a yes. lot of reasons. But, like, that kind of character can be easy to create yep. where, like, everyone's uh-huh. supposed to like them. They're very popular. Uh-huh. Everyone is telling you, you should like Ferris because everyone likes Ferris. The fact that they are, like, spoon-feeding this to me, and I still... I don't need any of that. He is personified so perfect. The... What? Uh, the... The dicks? The motorheads? The sluts? They all love (laughs) him. Yeah, so that was what I was about to get at. They all think he's a righteous dude. And, like... Righteous dude. Can you just... Uh, I don't know if you remember this. Like, early in our, our, uh, collegiate careers, we all took a trip to Chicago... And we played a game at dinner where we asked if you could be any movie character you want, any movie character, who would you be? And my answer is Ferris Bueller because yeah. to be universally loved like that is just like, it's like so incredible. And like, and for being you. Right. Exactly. Universally loved, not for any false reason, just because you are universally lovable. Just, uh, like, that general appeal to every kind yeah. of walk of life, even the administrators, except for Rooney. Yeah. Um, The fact that, like, he appears aloof, but he obviously, so obviously cares about Cameron. Uh, he's a good friend, uh, even though he doesn't always appear like it. And I think... Yeah. And I think... You hit me. I think that's why he's such, he's so he's so perfect as like this real life friend that we're talking about because he's kind of a pain in the ass. He's like, come on, he drags you around. Yep. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me. He'll make you feel guilty. You always everyone has a friend like this. But yep. oh, it, it's, but what's so great about that friend is that eventually you do go and and you always have a good time and you never and he it. makes you better. Yep. He makes Cameron better. He knows he so he it's exactly he's a perfect balance. He selfishly wants to just go like tool around in Chicago, but he also knows that this is exactly what his chronically depressed friend needs. It's both, and that's part of what makes him so real. But I want to get back briefly. I we want to we got to keep going yeah. on the love fest because there's more to say about him that's so great. But let me go back one second to you about the righteous dude thing. That scene where he's in the shower and he talks about how he doesn't believe in isms is such a huge part of why he's so likable. He's not anything other than a a guy you would like. He's not a jock, but I bet he's pretty good at sports. 
He's not a nerd, but he's actually a pretty smart dude. He's not like a motorhead, but he does know how to love that car. Like he doesn't fit well into any one category, but you know everybody likes him. He's perfect. I, uh, he's just uh, that is, and it's never too much, which is weird. It feel it should be. At some point in that movie, it should be too much, and it just isn't. It never is. I. He's the greatest. He's not just the most likable character of all time. In my opinion, he's just the greatest movie character there is, and that is my that is my favorite movie. So like, it's hard. This is always going to be yeah. my number one. Yeah. Um, I actually just like you. I have such a special place in my heart for this because I will never forget hearing this kid Eric who I went to elementary school with tell me about this movie and how great it was and how much he loved it. And I was like probably a little bit too young to watch this movie. And I mentioned it to my mom, and it was a really weird, rare situation. It didn't happen a lot in my house that my dad and both my sisters were gone. I don't, I don't know where they were for the night. And so just my mom and I watched it, and it's one of her favorite movies. And the two of us just sat up on my couch and watched it. And it was like, it's burned in my memory watching that with my mom. I actually can't remember the first time that I watched Ferris mm. Bueller, which is strange to me because I can yeah. I, I, I'm pretty good about remembering when I see movies. Yeah. I think it's because I've seen it, like, without exaggeration. So many times. Probably in excess of 50 times or so. Yeah. Um, it's also just an infinitely quotable movie. Dylan I, oh, Dylan, yeah. and I will, like, just sometimes go, like, as long as we can, reciting lines, like, in order. Um, the Sausage King of Chicago. Do we tell you that? I'll tell you the story later. Uh and Dylan like organically used that line in a real life context. Oh wow! And just got sh- who who and the person he told it to didn't get the reference or like didn't care and just shook it off and it was devastated. I felt so bad for Dylan. Mm. Hey buddy, that was really great. Like that's like a really deep Ferris Bueller line that doesn't get worked into normal conversation too often. No, not most. People. He nailed it and it just went wow. unappreciated. That's okay. a tough one. Mouse rat theory. I'm gonna rattle off the ten. Yep. We're, I'm going to go through some of my things, and we're going to do this. Yep. Okay, number 10, Lady Bird. Number 9, Jon Snow. Number 8, this is Doubtfire. Number 7, Skylar of Goodwill Hunting. Number 6, Hermione. 5, Faramir. 4, Morgan Freeman, but specifically Red. 3, Leslie Note. 2, Marge Gunderson. Number 1, Ferris Bueller. Okay, I have a long list here. Um, Wait, can you first... Well, I don't know if you want to do it first or last. I want to hear who the other person you thought had to be on it was. Do you want to do that last? Yes. All right, I'm I, just dying. I'm so curious. I'm gonna stump, it's funny, Mike, because you've actually referenced this character once today. Um, okay. And I thought it was intentional, because they were going to be on the list. Um, okay. Let's see if, the, let's see if the, the listeners can pick up on that clue. Um, long, long list here. The secret here. word I'm going to run through them just Parsimon. like... Parsimon. Huh? The secret word is persimmon. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Um, several from Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> Ray. Everyone loves Ray. Oh my god, I forgot about freaking Ray. Everyone loves Ray. She's a Stupid. Cu- she's a cultural icon and a hero. Yeah. Um, the dumbest boy in school. I might actually stump for her pretty hard. The only reason yeah, I you should. the only reason I might not is because I actually think that Obi-Wan is more likable. Um hmm. In some cases, Interesting. at least to people that, I think people that loved Star Wars before this last set of movies, probably, okay. especially, 
He's especially because he's the only like redeeming quality of episodes one through three. Ewan McGregor is so great. I, yeah. It, it, if we're gonna pick a representative from Star Wars, it should be Ray, I think. But I also had on this list Han Solo because he's so roguish. And, but real life Han Solo, no, would be you would not want to hang yes. out with Han. Uh, yeah. And also, despite not being able to speak, uh, I think R two is just such a lovable character. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Chewbacca, and I was like, yeah, he's kind of he get annoying over time. R2 would be great. R2's, like, so sassy, despite not being... Yeah, I, that's true. All right. Those are my Star Wars picks. I, I'll probably actually stunt for Rey. Yeah, um, good, well played. I have on here any Disney sidekick. So, like, Genie or Mushu or Flounder <laughs> or... Um, like, just, like, every single Disney sidekick is just there to be so so damn likable. That's true. Uh I don't like. I want to stump for any like the Danny DeVito centaur or uh, Phil, uh, satyr, satyr from, uh, from Hercules or what's his horse's Pegasus, right? Yeah, Pegasus. Yeah, um, yeah. They're all they're all great. Um, this is outside of the lines. This is not uh, a movie or TV show. Maybe a movie someday. This is just for you and Jameson when he listens. Nathan Drake. You wouldn't actually want to hang out with him. Again. Yeah, that's true. Because he's a, he's a he's a mass murderer. Because he's a horrible yeah. person and a thief. Yeah. But God, he's likable. From a video game for the listeners. Yeah. Uh, Owen Wilson from Midnight to Paris or Midnight in Paris. Oh, oh. Who I might actually stump for. Interesting. Yeah, he's like the improved Woody Allen. Yep. Uh, he's a little bit annoying too. I can imagine in real life. But yeah, uh, he's really great. Well, he's a thing now. Everybody's doing the. Um, what does he do? He likes he makes some noise, and it's become like an internet wow. thing. Wow! Wow! <laughs> wow! Thing. That's just yeah. Owen Wilson. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Um, the only so the only thing I, we don't have to break it all down, but the only thing about his character from Midnight in Paris is he's a little bit like schlubby, which I think is like it's easier to make a schlub likable. Continue. Okay. Um, Buddy the Elf. Mm, see, the real life test is the problem. Man. Yeah, I guess you're right. He would be such a pain in the ass. True. Um, Benny the Jet Rodriguez from Sandlot. Um. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, he's. I don't know if we have enough about on him to to say it assuredly, and he is just a kid. But, um, representative from the the superhero universe. Um. They're all kind of assholes and narcissistic and uh, kind of horrible people. Um, not horrible There's people. There's only one I'm thinking of who's like genuinely likable. Well, I think Peter Parker is one of them. Oh, good point. And I think uh, based on the, the recent film, um, just because it's Paul Rudd, I think Ant-Man's pretty darn likable too. Oh, I thought we were going Wonder Woman. <laughs> oh, obviously. Yeah. she's. But only the Gal Gadot portrayal. Yeah. Um, Peter Parker, though, is a good pick because Peter Parker, Spider-Man, uh, is always, at least in everything I've experienced, incredibly likable. And he's like, he is the highest expression of the superhero Watson phenomenon. He's us yeah. as a superhero, but in a really clever and realistic and grounded way. Yep. Um, another one that fits in with your Skylar mold, kind of with a twist, is Summer, of 500 Days of Summer. I thought about her, and I think that she's really, she's possible. My only issue with her is that she spawned, like, a generation of imitators 
But that's not fair to hold that against her because Summer is incredible. I I, I think she should be on the list. Okay. Um, I thought about her. A couple that I'm... Uh, these are... So, like, some, some Pixar characters that I love but won't stump for are uh, Frozone and Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> also, Kevin from Up. Um, oh, I do love Kevin. Uh, okay, so now... Oh, and uh, from TV... Uh, Uncle Joey and Uncle Jesse. Oh, interesting. Uncle Jesse, not so much in real life because he's Mr. Steelio Girl. Yeah. Like, you know if you were his his nephew and you were, like, dating some, like, hot chick from, like, she's a freshman in college, he's going to steal her from you. Yep. Which is, t- it's tough to abide that in a real life person. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, also, anyone that's that invested in their hair. Um, yeah. Three characters from television that I'm serious about. Okay. The first is the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, he's amazing. Will Smith... Everybody would want to be his best friend. Will Smith was at the peak of American popularity when he was the Fresh Prince. Mm. He was the king when he was on that show. Yeah, Big Big Willie was the most likable star on Earth, and he's basically just playing a fictionalized version of himself. Every time he gets taught, ah, gets thrown out of the house by Uncle Phil. Oh yeah, no, he's on the list. We're gonna have to find a spot for him. Okay, this is basically Ferris Bueller light. Um, like it's the same character pretty much in every single way. Uh, T.J. Detweiler. I do love T.J. Detweiler. <laughs> yes, the only problem is he's Ferris. Yeah. He's he's the Ferris character. T.J. Detweiler, I love so much. There's actually like an episode completely dedicated to T.J. getting really frustrated because this one kid doesn't like him and he can't figure out oh, why. Oh, I remember that. He tries everything. Like he he like he gets him in detention, but just so that he can take him to a secret clubhouse where they read comics yeah. and like drink soda the whole time. And doesn't the kid just like say? I just don't like he's you. Like, and like, he's that's like, wow, it. TJ, and he, that was amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And TJ says, so I guess you could say you like me now, huh? Because it's so important to TJ to be liked. Yeah. And the kid says, no, I just don't. I just don't like you. And the lesson yeah. is that you just can't please everybody. Yeah. Um, which is a good, good lesson, lesson to learn as a there. kid. Yeah. Um, the last one that I'm really serious about that I thought like could seriously consider to be at number two Oh, that man. you referenced who earlier I, in this podcast. Who did I forget? Mr. Jim Halpert. Interesting. So I I actually, I had Jim and Pam as a couple where I ended up putting Ben and Leslie. And I pulled them out because I thought that they would overlap too much in their appeal to us. But now that we're taking it only as Leslie, I think that puts Jim back in play. Here's the thing about Jim. Yeah. There are a lot of people that don't like some of the things that Jim does, myself included. I think he can be a bit of a shithead sometimes. He does something... Like, in what regard? Um, I, I think he's out of line the way he interacts with Pam when she's engaged. I think that um, it's okay Ooh, to be friendly and flirt a little bit. I think he takes... Like when he grabs her and like picks her up at the karate match? That's borderline, but I think he like intentionally does some things to... like plant doubt in her in her mind and i think he was meddling in something that he really didn't have any business doing uh i think he was i think he was a little bit over the line there um i think he can actually be kind of a jerk in the office to to people occasionally i think he's a little bit conceited at times he's a little bit full of himself um 
that being said, like, these are all flaws that, like, regular people have, and I think that's why Jim is so likable, is because he's, like, you know how we say Jennifer Aniston is, like, office hot? Or not office hot, but, like... Yeah. She's the highest expression of of an attractive person you would actually meet in real life. Right. Jim is, like, about as likable as you can get, and, like, because, like, I think Ferris is, like, an unattainable level of he's a legend yeah he's part of the reason he's so like was he's he's like a legendary figure right but jim has all like has real serious flaws and yet i find him to be the most likable person on that show yeah it's close because i love even though michael's so awful i love michael but i know with that the problem is i'm just loving steve carell right in real in real life, especially but, early Michael, would be a nightmare. <laughs> but Jim is a good friend. He's a great yeah. husband. He's a great yeah. father. He's a yeah. really good friend. Even though it takes a while to get in with him, like uh, with Andy and, and some of the others in the office, like I think Jim is, is really like... It doesn't necessarily have to be number two, but I think he probably belongs yeah. on the list. I think that the two, the, two, the two things that I think need to also be said about Jim... One, one of my favorite things about Jim is how much the warehouse guys love him. Like, it's such a great quality because they don't like anybody else in the office and they love Jim. Uh, and the other thing, so I, I, it's kind of unfair. I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. You're talking about Jim being a great dad and he like weirdly is not a good dad in the last season because it was really weird and bad. So I'm just going to throw all of that out, but I'm going to bring back the last episode when he does the Golden Pronkins. But I haven't actually watched the whole thing yet. So if there's like something you could potentially spoil, please don't. Gotcha. So he's really likable. Okay. Cool. I'm in season seven. I'm close. Um, let's get to work. Some ones that I think are a little vulnerable. Mrs. Doubtfire. I think there's some holes. Yes, in that. that's off. That's gone. She's gone. He's gone. Whoever yep. he or she is. Um. Yep. I think Skylar is a little vulnerable, or like at least maybe we can. Sky Skylar's out. I love Skylar, and she's incredibly likable. I think that I think that she's not a big enough part of the, what people remember about that movie. I think that's fair. I like everyone else so much. This on is this where list. it gets tough. I actually think, ah, oh man, because because here are the ones I'm serious about. Yeah, I'd like to put Ray and Jim. And I think the Fresh Prince. Yeah. Oh, I think Peter Parker is borderline. But yeah, I think not. he's close, Why but not? I say no. Owen Wilson's close, but I say no. Um, I think those three are ones that I'm really going to stump for. And we're- that was what I was thinking too. I think that those three, Ray, Fresh Prince, and Jim, should be on the list. So we've taken off Mrs. Doubtfire and Skyler. Yeah, and I, I think personally, I think that number ten, I think Lady Bird. Not because Ladybird isn't incredibly likable, but because I think she's sort of standing in for a lot of characters uh, in that genre. Okay. Also, I think if we're doing this podcast in 10 years mm. and you ask me who's more likable, like Fresh Prince or Ladybird, yeah. it's probably going to be Fresh Prince. Okay, that's fair. Um, as far as slotting goes, yeah, I think Ferris Bueller stays at number one. Yep. I think that Jim and Fresh Prince both deserve to be like real high because I think, um, I think some like I think Red just due to some exposure stuff. Same with Marge. I think those two probably move down a little bit. 
Faramir should probably move down more because we you and just I, love him so much. You and I love. Faramir he stays on the list. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's just get to brass tacks then. So Ferris, Ferris Bueller at one. Who's number yep. two? I think number two is probably. I don't know. I really think Marge Gunderson is high, but you're right about the exposure factor. It's number two is probably the Fresh Prince. That's what I was thinking. So we're gonna do that. Fresh Prince yeah. at two. Yep. I think one of Leslie or Jim should be at three. Yeah, I'm. Mm, I'm voting Leslie. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I also think that Jim, we get a little repetitive. If we have three sort of roguish people, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I think, yeah, you're right. Leslie's three. Leslie, nope. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to mention. Um, uh, one of my honorable mentions. Cause I think <laughs> not a good real life friend, but I think actually probably maybe le- more likable on the show than Leslie is Andy. <laughs> Yeah, Andy would be terrible in real life. The actual, the actual other contender, in my opinion, if you take all of this and boil it down, there's really two other contenders. One is Anne, because Anne is really likable. She's a really good friend. Um, but the other one is Ron. Of course, Ron. Ron is actually a would be a genuinely likable person in real life. Loyal, really good with advice yeah. and woodworking. Yeah, uh, he'll make you. He'll make you a canoe. Like he's a he's a good dude. He's great. Okay, I actually think a good spot or a good person for number four. I actually think Hermione belongs real high. Or yeah, or yeah. You want to do Hermione at four? I would feel good about the next three being Hermione, Jim, Marge. Okay. How do you feel about that? I like it. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I think that I don't know. I I str- the, I'm struggling with the Marge thing a little bit because I feel like we're doing the we're putting a lot of weight in it. I think, I know a lot of people know who she is. I think a lot of those people are, are older than, like it's a kind of an older group. But six is, six is a pretty far away to fall from number two. I think that that's fair. Marge Gunderson. Okay. That leaves. So that, oh yeah. Now I'm going to have a hard time putting good friend Ray much lower than this. I don't think we should. Yeah. Do you want to do Ray next? I think Marge is like the OG Ray. Like Marge Gunderson was like a a champion the way that Ray is today, like a long time ago. Yeah. Um. I think it's it's I like it's kind of cool that they're together on this list. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I I kind of loosely referenced this character earlier, and no one knows who he is, so he doesn't belong on the list. But one of my favorite characters of all time is Columbo. Yeah, just one of the. I do know you love. Columbo. I love Columbo. Just, just one, one more, more thing. thing. And Peter Falk. Anything Peter Falk does. Okay, yeah. that leaves three spots for Faramir, Morgan Freeman, and Johnny Snow. Let's indulge. Let's put Faramir at eight. Yeah, we we earned it. And then I think by default, Jon Snow should get the higher ranking because he's an actual entry and not. Uh, a stand-in for several roles. I agree, and we'll put, we'll put Red at the last at, at ten, maybe because he's Irish. Because he's Irish. Yep. Quiet, you stupid Alexa. She's like just talks randomly. She's spying. Shut up, Alexa. Okay. 
Alexa being the uh, program, not a person that Kyle's like trapped in his room yeah, or no. anything. It's not a weird thing. Mike, that puts us like pretty much at 90 minutes, but we got a full yeah, podcast. That's a long ass podcast, but we've got a list. Let's read them off. You go ahead. It's your list. All right. Number 10, Red. Number 9, Jon Snow. Number 8, Faramir from Lord of the Rings. Number 7, Rey from the newest Star Wars trilogy. Number 6, Marge Gunderson from Fargo. Number 5, Jim Halpert from The Office. Number 4, Hermione Granger from Harry Plopper. <laughs> Number 3, 3, my lord, Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation. Number 2, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Of Bel-Air. And number 1, your most likable TV and movie character of all time, save Ferris Bueller. Well done, Mike. That was a likable well list. Well done. We have got a list. We'll see if the people like the list. <sighs> all right. Good work, buddy. All right. Beautifully done. Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at Top10KM. That's all spelled out, Top10KM. Our email, Top10KM, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, top10km.podbean.com all forms of communication accepted except for serial killer notes please don't send us any of those if you like the pod be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of top 10 ever again if you didn't like it please tell us why we'll try to make the show better our theme music was composed by kevin mcleod and our artwork was created by aaron sant you can check out her stuff at sant design on instagram Alrighty goons, we'll see you next week.